Welcome to Warhorn Media's podcast of Out of Our Minds blog posts. This is episode 26, and the title is Pastor Tim Keller on the Future of the PCA. It's by Tim Bailey. I'm your reader. The date is March 24, 2022. This is a long piece on the future of the Presbyterian Church in America, in light of the PCA's institutional endorsement of Side B self-affirming gays as church officers. What has brought this matter to a head is Covenant Theological Seminary's alumni holding Side B revoice conferences each year. I should add here that there are a number of links in the actual uh, blog post on Warren Media site that you might want to check out. We have now seen the denomination's final refusals to say no or discipline any of Revoice's principles, including Covenant Theological Seminary, Missouri Presbytery, Memorial Presbyterian Church, Greg Johnson, or the other PCA institutions and men who have created and promoted this evil. They may, to facilitate a mop-up operation, kick one or two men out or refuse to hold their credentials later after years of defending them, just as they did out in the Pacific Northwest Presbytery with Federal Vision's Peter Lightheart. Nevertheless, one swallow doth not a summer make, especially when that swallow has been hanging around all summer and his presence is only acknowledged in September. In October of last year, the PCA's highest court, the Standing Judicial Commission, ruled in favor of revoice in the case Speck v. Missouri Presbytery, Then more recently, the Presbyteries of the PCA turned down two overtures, 23 and 37, written to keep side B self-affirming gays from being church officers in the PCA. One of the main controversies in the PCA has been whether side B self-affirming gays like Greg Johnson, the host pastor of the first Revoice Conference, who holds his MDiv from Covenant Theological Seminary and is a member of Missouri Presbytery, should be allowed to continue to be a PCA pastor. Pastor Johnson is loudly side B, and he's published his self-affirming gayness far and wide, including a recent book with Zondervan and articles in USA Today and Christianity Today. There is still a sizable minority in the PCA who believe side B self-affirming gays such as Pastor Johnson should not be members of Christ's church, let alone deacons, elders, and pastors. Yet the PCA's SJC and presbyteries have now repudiated that position, and their repudiation is firm. Side B self-affirming gays are thus now permanently approved as members, deacons, elders, and pastors of the Presbyterian Church in America. No court of the PCA has loved Pastor Johnson enough to discipline him or his side B revoicers. Thus, the question, where to now? As was said above, this is a lengthy post, 
and we'll start with looking at Pastor Tim Keller's answer to this question. From near the beginning of the PCA, Pastor Keller has represented the soft liberalism of Northern evangelicalism within the denomination. He's made a name for himself by promoting women officers, theistic evolution, women teaching and exercising authority over men in the church, and of course, the side B, self-affirming gaze of revoice. This week, the denomination's house organ, By Faith, published an article they had solicited from Pastor Keller on the portentous occasion of the defeat of the overtures opposing side B revoicers. Pastor Keller has retired from the pastorate, but he hasn't yet retired from PCA politics. Here then is his response to Revoice's victories as it was published to the PCA's By Faith this past week. And then a note, earlier we've written about the rejection of Overtures 23 and 37 by the PCA's presbyteries, and here are the voting tallies, and there are two links in that statement. These failed overtures called for churches and presbyteries to examine candidates for church office, including candidates for ordination to pastoral ministry, on the matter of whether or not they identified as side B, self-affirming gays, and if so, the overtures mandated those men's exclusion from church office. And again, those overtures have now failed. Pastor Keller's complete text is intended, as quotes below, with his emphases. And so, in other words, I'm going to read this and try to make it clear where I'm quoting Pastor Keller. It's going to get a little bit confusing at times. And I will try to uh, make my voice louder at the points that he has in bold. Anytime you notice my voice getting louder, I'm sorry, it will be obnoxious, but I'm trying simply to show you that he has put the text I'm reading in bold in his article in the magazine. So we start with the beginning of Pastor Keller's article. It's titled, The New Narrative. Quote, The New Narrative. The failure of Overtures 23 and 37 to receive approval of two-thirds of our presbyteries has given rise to many interpretations of, quote, what this means about the state of the PCA, unquote, unquote. Pastor Keller has some heavy lifting to do. The rejection of these overtures is his burden, given that the hegemony of his Kellerites over the PCA is now secure. The question is how Pastor Keller will wear their victory and where Kellerites will go next. The problem facing them is what to do about all the small church pastors out there who feel Redeemerites have robbed them of their Orthodox Reformed Church. It won't be a good look if Kellerites crow about their victory. Any show of tribalism just now would be uncool. We are likely watching Pastor Keller's valedictory speech, given in the knowledge that the bees are angry so that now is not the best time to defend revoice or side B, self-affirming gay pastors. Quote, this is Pastor Keller, I want to question one of the main ways of reading the results of the vote. That narrative goes something like this, unquote. Now, it, as I said, it gets confusing because the next few paragraphs that I will say quote before and after are written by Pastor Keller, but they're Pastor Keller's representations of what his opponents are saying. 
Quote, a majority of the presbyteries of the PCA are conservative. They don't sympathize with side B approaches to homosexuality, described below, unquote. In his representation of his opponent's thoughts and arguments, Pastor Keller is adroit in his efforts to sideline any discussion of the real significance of the defeat of the overtures. So he sets revoice aside. Revoice isn't mentioned once in Pastor Keller's discussion of overtures 23 and 37. Instead, Pastor Keller turns the discussion away from revoice towards side B self-affirming gaze. Yes, it's confusing. What? I thought we were talking about revoice. What's the side B he's talking about? What are these side B approaches to homosexuality? Apparently, there's not just one of them either, since he says approaches, plural. What happened to revoice? Pastor Keller continues to present readers what his opponents are thinking and saying. Quote, A majority of the presbyteries of the PCA are conservative. They don't sympathize with side B approaches to homosexuality, but there is a significant minority of presbyteries that do. This is an extremely dangerous situation because side B always slides into side A and the end of Orthodox Christianity, unquote. This is what conservatives are thinking and saying? Not at all. Take, for instance, his summary of what concerns conservatives have about side B approaches to homosexuality. If we believe Pastor Keller, the concerns of those opposed to side B revoicers aren't with side B itself, gay identity and lifestyle. Rather, the real danger is that side B is the entry drug to side A, gay copulation. Again, no. Read, for instance, our grace of shame. There, it's quite clear, biblical Christians reject both side B and side A approaches to homosexuality. Both are sin. Both are in violation of the seventh commandment. Both have been opposed consistently in what has been written, condemning Covenant Theological Seminary's revoice. Here on Warhorn Media, we have 15 separate posts documenting revoicers side B and opposing it. For instance, quote, we write, the side B position boils down to the view that the Bible only condemns homosexual sex acts. Everything other than sex acts, say, for instance, the gay aesthetic, attraction to same-sex people, effeminacy, spiritual friendship, co-owning a poodle, fostering a child in a household presided over by two members of the same sex, committed to a joint spiritual friendship, speaking with a lisp, wearing the clothing of the opposite sex, sharing an adopted child, are not condemned in Scripture. This is an excerpt from a post we put up June of 2019. In fact, in July 2018, we opposed the promotion of Side B by Pastor Keller's protege, PCA Pastor Scott Sauls. We wrote back then, quote, Scott Sauls is the man who accidentally ordained a deaconess at Redeemer nine years ago. This is the man who then went to Nashville and introduced us to the concept of, quote, gay Christians, unquote, a few years later. This is the man who, attempting 
to sell us on gay Christianity, side B, of course, dot, 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 unquote. Keep these things in mind as you read Pastor Keller's spin on what his opponents in the PCA are thinking and saying. Contrary to his spin, the side B position is the position supported by his protege, Scott Sauls, as well as Covenant Theological Seminary, Pastor Greg Johnson, and all his revoicers. This is what revoicers have told us. Why would we doubt them? Side B, quote, positions on homosexuality, unquote, have always been the center of the debate in the PCA. Revoice has claimed them again and again. But Pastor Keller is not mentioning Revoice here, is he? We're not done with Pastor Keller putting words in conservatives' mouths. Why are conservatives concerned about the rejection of these overtures by the PCA presbyteries? What are they saying about this rejection? Pastor Keller tells us they're saying this, quote, We see where those side B-leaning presbyteries are, and we know where the liberalism will begin developing if it hasn't already. Most of the PCA is sound, though, unquote. Pastor Keller summarizes his opponent's thinking. Number one, most PCA presbyteries are conservative. Number two, most PCA presbyteries aren't sympathetic to side B. Number three, still a large minority of presbyteries are sympathetic to side B. Number four, side B always slides into side A. And number five, side A is the end of Orthodox Christianity. Pastor Keller sums up his opponent's fears, quote, This view divides the PCA into a majority of conservative people and presbyteries, but also a minority of side B-leaning social justice-emphasizing progressives, unquote. After such definitive defeats suffered at the hands of the side B revoicers and their supporters, how will Pastor Keller reassure and pacify his opponents? Stop here and think about warfare. Many a war has been lost after a major battle has been won. Similarly, many a war has been won, and yet the terms of peace have resulted in the continuation of asymmetrical warfare or even the resumption of full-scale hostilities. Pastor Keller's article is written to keep this from happening. His revoicers have won all the battles thus firmly establishing Kellerite's leadership of the PCA, but the harder work ahead of them now is pacifying their enemies. As he undertakes this critical work, Pastor Keller is acutely aware his liberal comrades-in-arms are weary of the battle. They fear all these small church biblical pastors won't go quietly into the night. Kellerites are wondering if it is really worth it to stay in a denomination where you have to play nice with rigid, small-minded presbyters who waste your time with their petty disputationalism. These guys don't get it. Why waste energy on them? Let's just leave. Yet here stands elder statesman and father of PCA liberalism, Pastor Tim Keller, saying everything's good, all's well, all's proceeding according to plan. He doesn't want us to leave, and we owe him. Some Kellerites have already left, the latest being another, quote, in the city for the city, unquote, congregation out in the Pacific Northwest. A pastor from their presbytery just explained privately how this church, quote, ran the table, unquote, 
winning all their battles with biblical men of the presbytery who are trying to discipline their Redeemerite doctrine and practice. But then, the pastor reported, after the church's pastor in session won everything at the presbytery level, they announced their departure for Anglicanism. So, good reader, keep your eye on the ball. Sometimes the victor doesn't want the spoils. Keller and company are ambivalent about staying in the PCA. They don't want to govern it unless they can pacify it. Moving on, Pastor Keller writes, quote, There are considerable problems with this view. Unquote. The view being what he has told us that his opponents in the PCA are thinking and saying. Right out of the gate, we have Pastor Keller's biggest spin. Quote, First, as far as I know, there is not one PCA court, not one session, presbytery, or agency that has ever endorsed Side B Christianity. Unquote. Pastor Keller's first statement is a whopper. It's such a big one, he might actually get away with it. In fact, what he's written here has gotten Pastor Keller in hot water with all the side B self-affirming gay revoicers over on Twitter. Specifically, check out the Twitter feeds of Revoice founder Nate Collins and his wife Sarah, as well as PCA pastor Greg Johnson. But you, dear reader, keep it firmly established in your mind that the animal with big hind legs that hops and has tall straight ears and eats carrots and reproduces like rabbits is, in fact, a rabbit. Your row of carrots is disappearing, yet the silly thing assures you he's not eating them. He's not a rabbit, he tells you. Now then, you're the gardener. What are you going to do? You can believe him, or you can save your carrots. Those are your choices. Pastor Keller continues, quote, While there is no exact way to determine the meaning of this term, side B, unquote. Ah, uh, yes. Meanings and definitions of words are a bit muddy, but maybe Pastor Keller can help. Quote, it is fair to characterize it like this, people attracted to the same sex, though remaining celibate in obedience to the Bible, still can call themselves gay Christians and see their attraction as a part of their identity, which should be acknowledged like one's race or nationality, unquote. Actually, not at all, quote, like one's race or nationality, unquote, but why quibble? Now, watch where he leads us, quote, If it is true that the Presbyteries rejecting Overtures 23 and 37 were side-B-leaning or sympathetic, you would expect to see at least some scattered sessions in those Presbyteries which have come out and approved it, unquote. Sessions who have come out and approved it? What a ridiculous defense. Pastor Keller promoted and employed women officers in his church for decades. But of course, he never had a session come out and approve it. Sessions never approve their moral and doctrinal errors. They practice them, then dare their presbytery to discipline them. Liberals fight from the shadows. They never stand in the light. Quote, but I see none, 
if anyone can point to a session or presbytery that even expresses support for the side B approach, please let me know, unquote. Such disingenuous bombast. But hey, he asks us to let him know. March 24, 2022. Dear Pastor Keller, this is to inform you of scores of sessions in presbyteries as well as profs at the denominations, college, and seminary, along with administrators of those higher educational institutions and the denominational agencies who never stop expressing their support for, quote, the side B approach, unquote. I won't bother providing proof. It's out there washing like a tsunami through the denomination, as you know full well. So really, I've written only to say publicly that you lie. Sincerely yours, Tim Bailey, parentheses, Reverend of parentheses, and then Senior Pastor, Trinity Reformed Church, Evangel Presbytery. Pastor Keller continues, quote, Second, the PCA's Ad Interim Committee on Human Sexuality considered this side B view and clearly rejected it. That report was overwhelmingly commended as biblically faithful, quote-unquote, at the last General Assembly and approved without objection for distribution among our churches. If there were any who would have voted against it and no such votes were registered, they are more likely to have been those who thought the report was not conservative enough, not those who wanted to broaden its standards. I don't know of anyone who spoke or wrote against the ad interim report because it rejected side B and they wanted side B affirmed, unquote. If I thought public deception by ministers of the word and sacrament were funny, I'd say Pastor Keller's paragraph above is hilarious. Why? Because not one single time is there even a mention of, quote, side B, unquote, in the 32,401 words of Pastor Keller's committee's report from his ad interim Committee on Human Sexuality, after which he tells us, quote, considered this side B view and clearly rejected it, unquote. If Pastor Keller and his committee were also zealous to condemn this sin, he solemnly assures us is nowhere in the PCA, why did they not mention it? In fact, why did they studiously avoid mentioning it? This is something readers would do well to cogitate over given the endless talk of Side B, which has been central to Covenant Theological Seminary's revoicers, their speakers, and their conferences. They never stop saying and writing and promoting, quote, Side B, unquote. They've done so on the phone with me, carefully explaining, quote, Side B, unquote, to me. Further, in Missouri Presbytery's own report on revoice, they define revoice as side B, using the expression, quote, side B, unquote, more than 60 times in their document. And there's a link to the document there. But now apparently the new tack is to hide it completely and then deny it's anywhere, anytime held by anyone. Pastor Keller's fellow liberals have decided side B is a non-starter, and it's best to hide it in the closet now. So they don't mention it in their study committee report. But a couple years later, Pastor Keller claims they condemned it fulsomely in their report. 
Then, piling on, he solemnly assures us no one anywhere today believes in Side B, not anywhere in the PCA. What a mishmash he makes. We ask ourselves the obvious. Why did Pastor Keller and his study committee go to such great lengths to condemn Side B, as he reports it, if no one anywhere in the PCA has ever supported it? But we remember he and his study committee never mentioned Side B in their report, so there's that. Pastor Keller moves on, quote, To characterize the institution of the PCA as being in danger of endorsing liberalism in general, and Side B in particular, is unsubstantiated and seriously misleading, unquote. What a relief we have Pastor Keller's word for it. He continues, quote, Third, in light of points number one and number two, we can conclude further that the reasons for the no votes by presbyters on the BCO amendments must have been based on matters other than an incipient liberalism, unquote. Pastor Keller <clears throat> assures readers the rejection of overtures 23 and 37 by PCA presbyteries was most certainly not any commitment they have to liberalism, such as self-affirming side beanets. The voting down of overtures 23 and 37 had nothing at all to do with any incipient liberalism. The promotion of homosexual aesthetics and identity is absolutely not incipient liberalism. So what was the whole thing about? It's time to get the pillow, rip off the pillowcase, and fill the room with feathers. Too much clarity in this room. Let's cloud things up with a little, quote, extreme diversity, unquote. Again. Pastor Keller, quote, again, the reasons for votes against the overtures were extremely diverse, yet after hearing many, many of them, I think the common uniting concern was that the overtures could do more harm than good. Some thought they would exclude some people unfairly while allowing others in who learned to master a new vocabulary. They saw the overtures as blunt instruments that could do damage to genuine conservative Presbyterian believers, unquote. Once again, Pastor Keller doesn't mention revoice. Instead, he assures everyone, first, what was really at stake was most certainly not side B. Second, what was really at stake was most certainly not homosexuality. Third, Rather, what was at stake was a shared desire to protect, quote, genuine conservative Presbyterian believers, unquote. Honestly, does any person of sound mind think Pastor Keller is being truthful when he concludes his explanation of the repudiation of overtures 23 and 37 by saying the overtures were voted down by men who, quote, saw the overtures as blunt instruments that could do damage to genuine conservative Presbyterian believers, unquote. Pastor Keller isn't laughing, but quite seriously claims these overtures were voted down in order to protect, quote, genuine conservative Presbyterianism, unquote. It would be disrespectful to respond to Pastor Keller's lies with the kid glove treatment. He's a man universally revered within the PCA, so give him what he deserves. Don't patronize him. He continues, quote, Other nays came from people who were sure there would be unintended consequences, 
but were unsure of what they would be because of confusing wording or the institution of new investigational systems and standards in our presbyteries and churches. Still other negative votes were those of old-fashioned conservatism, ones that simply disliked change and saw the overtures as unnecessary, unquote. He tells readers that some of the no votes were due to, quote, old-fashioned conservatives who, quote, simply dislike change, unquote. Change. What change? Is Pastor Keller referring to the barring of self-affirming gays from church office as change? If so, he's implying that the steady-state economy of the PCA is the mainstreaming and unquestioning acceptance of self-affirming gays as members and church officers. But is this true when the Christian church across two millennia has never allowed self-affirming gays to be members or officers? We may safely say old-fashioned conservatives in the PCA did not oppose the overtures because they wanted the PCA to continue to allow self-affirming gays to continue to be ordained. Pastor Keller continues, quote, In every and any case, the no-voting presbyteries cannot be proven to be more theologically liberal than the yes-voting ones. In fact, some of the no-voting presbyteries are those that trend toward our most conservative ranks, unquote. This is a lie. The no-voting presbyteries most certainly were more theologically liberal. In fact, for many years, we have watched some of these same presbyteries demonstrate their liberalism on the national level. Take women officers, for example. A few years back, several PCA presbyteries got together and promoted women officers in the PCA. Who were those presbyteries? Pastor Keller and Redeemer Presbyterian Church's Metro New York Presbytery. Metro Atlanta Presbytery. Philadelphia Presbytery. And Northern California Presbytery jumped on the bandwagon, as we reported here on Bailey Blog, April 21st, 2009. This is a quote from that post, quote, The same position statement calling for women officers acted on by Northern California, Metro New York, and Philadelphia Presbyteries has now also been presented to and adopted by Metro Atlantic Presbytery. Although they changed some of the prefatory wording, they approved essentially the same document, approved by Northern California and Metro New York Presbyteries, unquote. So how did these presbyteries pushing for women officers a decade ago vote on Overtures 23 and 37? Three of four voted the Overtures down. Yet Pastor Keller publicly claims that, quote, in every and any case, the no-voting presbyteries cannot be proven to be more theologically liberal than the yes-voting ones, unquote. Note his phrase, quote, in every and any case, unquote. Pastor Keller's circle of presbyteries tried to get the PCA to approve woman officers, and what, that's no indication they're liberal? Now they vote down overtures intending to keep self-affirming gays from being officers, and what, that, too, is no indication they're liberal. 
Let's dig a little deeper into which presbyteries voted down overtures 23 and 37 to see if, quote, any, unquote, of the rest of them are liberal also. Now I just go through a list of some of the presbyteries and occasionally I'll mention the number of men in the presbytery and then use the word here. And each of these here's is a link to a post that gives a picture and a bio and gives a lot of information about these men in connection with Revoice and their support of Revoice. Now the list of the presbyteries. These are just some of them. Central Indiana Presbytery. Liberal, my former fellow presbyters. Chicago Metro Presbytery. Liberal. Columbus Metro. Liberal. Hills and Plains Presbytery, liberal. Check out their 11 men here. Metro Atlanta Presbytery, liberal. Check out their eight men here. Metro New York Presbytery, Uh uh-huh, liberal. Missouri Presbytery, Uh uh-huh, liberal. Northern California Presbytery, liberal. Check out their six men here. Northern New England Presbytery, liberal. Pacific Presbytery, liberal. Pacific Northwest Presbytery, liberal. Piedmont Triad Presbytery, liberal. Check out their five men here. Potomac Presbytery, liberal, check out their eight men here. South Texas Presbytery, liberal, check out their eight men here. Southern New England Presbytery, liberal, check out their six men here. Wisconsin Presbytery, liberal, my former church in this presbytery. Now, let's remind ourselves why this list was necessary. Pastor Keller denies that, quote, in any case, unquote, there is a connection between presbyteries voting down these overtures and, quote, liberalism, unquote. Is Pastor Keller telling the truth? No. Pastor Keller continues, quote, as far as I can tell and as far as our documented actions can affirm, an overwhelming supermajority of the PCA does not accept the biblical legitimacy of a side B perspective. In a denomination of our size, I'm sure there must be individuals, both lay and perhaps some ordained, who do. But to characterize the institution of the PCA as being in danger of endorsing liberalism in general, and side B in particular, is unsubstantiated and seriously misleading. Unquote. Quote, perhaps some ordained, unquote, men in the PCA, quote, accept the biblical legitimacy of a side B perspective, unquote, perhaps. Pastor Keller's dissimulations and equivocations multiply. Now then, Pastor Keller again, quote, the old narrative, well then, what is going on? I have a view. That is possibly wrong, but is my best guess right now. What is going on now is, with one significant difference, 
see below what has been going on in our denomination almost from the beginning, unquote. Prior to reading this article by Pastor Keller, many readers of By Faith would have thought the defeat of Overtures 23 and 37 indicated that the theological liberalism of side B revoicers was solidifying its grasp on the PCA. But here, Pastor Keller commences another deep spin on the PCA. Quote, The PCA has been divided between a minority of ministers who interpreted the Westminster standards in stricter ways and a majority who interpreted them in broader ways. An example is the regulative principle of worship, unquote. Oh my, he is good. Here, Pastor Keller does an imitation of the Apostle Paul when he was caught between the Sadducees and Pharisees, all of whom were furious with him. And we read his tactic here in Acts chapter 23, verse 6, quote, but perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead, unquote. The tactic is called divide and conquer. So which side is Pastor Keller posturing himself as belonging to here? As he raises the issue of that infamous slew of reform bickering, the regulative principle of worship. The issue isn't sodomy. The issue isn't side B covenant theological seminary profs, administrators, and graduates. The issue is a cappella, psalter only nitpickers. The issue is the no drama in worship fuddy duddies. The issue is those fence the Lord's table legalists. The issue is no images in worship Neanderthals. The issue is the crusty Orthodox men who won't allow toddlers to join their parents at the Lord's Supper. The issue is those imbeciles giving way to hissy fits over intention. Again, forget sodomy and self-affirming side B revoicers, and instead think about singing hymns in worship, think about pictures in worship, think about drama in worship, think about welcoming babies and toddlers to the Lord's table, think about all those rigid pastors who guilt trip people just before the Lord's Supper is served. Then ask yourself who you really want to win this split of the PCA. Surely not these prehistoric cavemen going all rigid with us over this thing called the regulative principle of worship. Pastor Keller continues, quote, The understanding of what actual worship practices are enjoined and forbidden differs widely in the denomination. This difference, which many in the stricter group bemoan, can't be dealt with by getting people to stick closer to the confession. I know few, if any, ministers who take an exception to the regulative principle of worship. It is the interpretation of it that is at issue. At several other points, the differences are similarly matters of interpretation, unquote. Pastor Keller here condescends to his readers, explaining that this division also has no substance. It's simply a matter of interpretation and application. As Pastor Keller undercuts and trims Scripture's doctrines of sexuality and creation, disobeying his denomination's polity as well, 
and strewing schism in his wake. He stops for a minute to explain that everything everyone is fighting over is simply a big misunderstanding. If only they'd had his gift of exculpatory peacemaking at Fort Sumter and Pearl Harbor. Forget sodomy and revoice and sideism and Missouri Presbytery and self-affirming gays in church office within the PCA. Instead, click his link next presented to an article he wrote on the evils of confessional subscription back 21 years ago. He writes, quote, For a deeper look at the differences, though this article is now dated in many ways, see how then shall we live together, subscription in the future of the PCA, and he provides a link to that, unquote. Pastor Keller continues, quote, any effort to give names to these groups makes one side look better than the other. Is one group confessional and the other evangelical? Is the one side doctrinalist and the other side missional? I use these terms just to help readers get the gist of what I'm talking about, and I'll not use them again because I do not want the labels to rob anyone of proper respect or to brand them uncharitably. Unquote. Far be it from us to attribute unkindness, let alone divisiveness, to such an avuncular fellow. Look how concerned he is to avoid labels and brands like, quote, revoice and, quote, side B. Pastor Keller is such a gentle aversion to the gross simplifications caused by labels and brands. They're so unhelpful. Pastor Keller continues, Quote, what is especially grievous about this division, however, is how each side came to deeply mistrust the other's spiritual and theological maturity. We did not just disagree about worship. We mocked the alternative to our view. One group laughed at happy-clappy, shallowness, while the other spoke of the stiff, formal services of the frozen chosen, unquote. May I, please? Point of order, Mr. Moderator. It was my understanding the motion on the floor had to do with revoice, side B, and the ordination of self-affirming gays. Am I missing something? Did we table the motion? Has someone put forward a motion on worship or subscriptionism? What happened to the ordination of gays? Help me out, please, Mr. Moderator. But no, Pastor Keller is often running, channeling, the healing blather of Oprah Winfrey and the piped-in nostrums we now have as the effluent of loudspeakers in our brand-new hospital here in Bloomington, teaching patients and their visitors mindfulness. Hope is hopeful. Do you see it? We love our differences. Stretch your legs. Lift your arms to the sky. Take a deep breath. Think about all that is good in this beautiful world. Think about yourself. See yourself as others see you. Aren't you beautiful? Now then, having centered ourselves, let's get back to Pastor Keller. Quote, The human heart wants to justify itself, and in the PCA we have often not been willing to chalk up our perennial 
differences to sincere but differing ways of reading the confession and Bible. Rather, we've assumed that they stem from defects in character. We mistrust each other's motives. Unquote. Proverbs warns us against being naive and credulous, but that's what Pastor Keller wants from us. We should pre- present ourselves in presbytery meetings soft and ready to trust the sincerity of those promoting schism and error. They're wrong, but they mean well. They tell us this, and we believe them. All those years, Pastor Keller spent rebelling against the PCA's Book of Church Order by promoting women officers in his church. He meant well. All his motives were godly. All those years, he spent saying authority in marriage is mutual, and the husband only had what Pastor Keller labeled, quote, tie-breaking authority, unquote. He meant well. His motives were righteous. All those years, Pastor Keller spent promoting his canard across the PCA, quote, a woman can do anything a non-ordained man can do in the church, unquote. He meant well. His motives were holy. All those years, Pastor Keller spent promoting the demise of Scripture's account of creation within the PCA. He only meant well. He simply desired to avoid the intellectual embarrassment of Scripture's anti-scientism, which has caused so many scholars to turn from Christ. All those years, Pastor Keller was saying all those things that trimmed away the edges of the coin of God's truth, he meant well. He only wanted the PCA to have a flagship congregation up north, in the city, for the city, which could protect them from being smeared with a Confederate flag and Southern secessionism. The tragedy of it all, when as Pastor Keller assures us, the men and women of the PCA are fighting simply because they, quote, have sincere but differing ways of reading the Confession and Bible, unquote. Sincere but differing, differing but sincere, sincere and sincere, opposite but sincere, wrong but sincere, contrary to the Confession but sincere. Denial of Scripture's very words, but sincere. Violations of the Book of Church Order, but sincere. Pastor Keller mourns those souls who are so myopic or insecure as to declare violations of Scripture in the Confession to be motivated by defects in character. But what about American Presbyterianism's historic preliminary principle number four, which was adopted by the PCA? Quote, that truth is in order to goodness and a great touchstone of truth, its tendency to promote holiness, according to our Savior's rule, by their fruit ye shall know them, and that no opinion can be either more pernicious or more absurd than that which brings truth and falsehood upon a level and represents of no consequence what a man's opinions are. On the contrary, we are persuaded that there is an inseparable connection between faith and practice, truth and duty. Otherwise, it would be of no consequence either to discover truth or to embrace it. Unquote. Pastor Keller rejects such judgmental thinking. Truth is not in order to goodness. By their fruits ye shall not know them. 
It is of no consequence what a man's opinions are. There is no connection between faith and practice. Attacks upon the confession in Scripture do not stem from defects in character. We must not question each other's motives. It's hard to write a more clear denial of this fourth preliminary principle than Pastor Keller has written here as the center of his call for a truce and peace. Pastor Keller continues, quote, The broad group thinks the strict one is legalistic in spirit, wanting to think of itself as valiant for truth, wanting to feel superior to everyone because they are stricter. The strict group thinks the broad one wants the love of the world, wants to be popular with the culture, and is in the process of selling out in order to be seen as relevant. Unquote. The explaining continues, informing us it's all about people and their feelings. No one ever stands for truth. They're all simply trying to satisfy their emotional needs. This is precisely what Orthodox Roman Catholics say about Martin Luther and his Reformation. To Pastor Keller, it's inconceivable that any man is motivated by any objective love of God and his truth. Truth doesn't make anyone free. Non-judgmentalism and mutual respect and acceptance are what makes men free. If we just trust each other and give each other the benefit of the doubt, all our differences will be healed because we'll all feel so much better. We'll be so much more integrated emotionally. We don't need truth. We need healing. Pastor Keller continues, quote, Are these group assessments fair? Unquote. Pastor Keller is referring here to those he claims are, quote, legalistic in spirit, unquote, and want to think of themselves as, quote, valiant for truth, unquote. Is his a fair assessment of them, he asks. Pastor Keller is referring here to those he claims are, quote, wanting to feel superior to everyone because they are stricter, unquote. Is his a fair assessment of them, he asks. Pastor Keller is referring here to his claim above that the PCA's conservatives think the liberals, quote, want the love of the world, unquote, and desire, quote, to feel superior to everyone because they are stricter, unquote. Is his a fair assessment of them, he asks. Pastor Keller claims that the PCA's conservatives think he and his fellow Kellerites are, quote, selling out in order to be seen as relevant, unquote. Is his a fair assessment of conservatives, he asks. The strict group thinks the broad one wants the love of the world, wants to be popular with the culture, and is in the process of selling out in order to be seen as relevant. Is this assessment fair? Pastor Keller now answers these questions he's asked. Quote, No, Paul's statement that love thinks no evil does not mean we should be naive about the reality of sin, but it must mean at the very least that believers should give each other the benefit of the doubt, as Scripture and our confession require, rather than assuming the worst, unquote. Don't be naive, but don't assume the worst. Does Pastor Keller really believe any of his opponents in the PCA have assumed the worst about him or his fellow Kellerites? If he does, what evidence does he put forward in proof of it? Has anyone in his liberal party ever anywhere been disciplined, ever anywhere been rebuked or censured, let alone suspended from the Lord's Supper? 
if the conservatives are assuming the worst about the liberals of the PCA, why aren't they lifting a finger to discipline them? Why no censures of Pastor Keller and his Redeemerites? They've trampled on doctrine after doctrine of Scripture in the Confession, saying and writing things never embraced by the Church across 2,000 years of Church history about sexuality, marriage, the diaconate, creation, and on it goes— Yet they have not a single martyr who has suffered at the hands of their conservative opponents disciplined to show for it. Certainly, if the conservatives had been assuming the worst about Pastor Keller and his Kellerites, at least one or two of them would have wounds and scars to show for it. Yet it must be admitted that all they have to show for it is their victory in Speck versus Missouri Presbytery and the failure of Overtures 23 and 37, Hooray and Hurrah. Maybe his conservative opponents will confess their sins if, first, Pastor Keller confesses his own. Pastor Keller writes, quote, In the PCA we have not done that, and it is worse than ever today. But in truth, it has been going on for decades. I've seen and heard it, and at times I have participated in it. I think this has sowed the seeds for what we see today, and what is that? Unquote. May we please clarify what, quote, it is, which Pastor Keller is confessing. Anyhow, it's time to blame things on President Trump, who shall remain nameless. Tim Keller again, quote, polarization in the PCA mirrors polarization in the culture. During the last five to six years, the entire nation has become more polarized politically and culturally. No matter your position, the alternative viewpoints to yours have become louder, stronger, and more extreme in society. Some are seeking to reread the strict and broad groups as being the same as and as connected to the conservatives and progressives that are battling in the culture wars on the national stage. For example, many now want to name the broader PCA group progressives and tie them to the activism of the secular left. If a PCA church emphasizes helping the poor or disadvantaged, it may be said they are, quote, into critical race theory, unquote. If they voted against Overtures 23 and 37, it may be said they are sympathetic to gay ideology. This effort to tie the old, strict, broad division in the PCA to the culture wars of the country has not been without any effect. Many folks who would not ordinarily vote or side with the stricter party did so on Overtures 23 and 37 at the 2021 GA, and I've even heard people within the broad group call themselves the progressives. What matters, of course, is to be biblical and reformed, not to position ourselves on some changing spectrum of political-cultural beliefs, unquote. Substantive issues in the PCA are largely the infiltration of politics and its culture wars. With that reproof, Pastor Keller brings his attempt to pacify his PCA by pleading his theological credentials. He writes, quote, However, a minister who believes women should not be ordained elders, who believes in the inerrancy of Scripture, who believes in Orthodox Reformed theology, who believes some people are predestined from all eternity to be damned, 
who believes people are going to hell if they don't believe savingly in Jesus, who believes homosexual practice and desire are sin, who believes we are all descended from a real, specially created Adam and Eve, is not progressive by any fair use of the English language or by any understanding of cultural reality, unquote. This is the list of doctrinal commitments Pastor Keller proposes for the terms of peace in the PCA, and let's take them one by one. First, Pastor Keller claims unity and peace in the PCA will be safe if a man, quote, believes women should not be ordained elders, unquote. The PCA will have woman officers, just not ordained, quote, unquote, woman elders. Now, that word ordained is a tell, and let me explain why. Pastor Keller had ex-officio members of his session who were women with voice but no vote. Further, one longtime pastor on Pastor Keller's pastoral staff who attended those session meetings explained to me that the women were free to speak, but the pastoral staff was expected to be quiet. In other words, Pastor Keller wants women to be free to be officers and free to be ex-officio members of the elders board with voice but no vote, but promises he won't ordain those women. Sneaky, isn't it? And how many of those reading his article here have friends who have been pastors on Pastor Keller's staff and have explained this and thus are in a position to know the significance of his inclusion of that qualifying word, quote, ordained, unquote. So scripture and the confession and the PCA Book of Church Order lose if his first term of peace is adopted. Second, Pastor Keller claims unity and peace in the PCA will be safe if a man, quote, believes in the inerrancy of scripture, unquote. Honestly, what does this inerrancy of scripture mean anymore when all the evangelical Bible publishers are amending the sacred text? deleting politically incorrect expressions and words, such as man, father, brother, effeminates, Jews. Sure, all the legacy institutions and denominations have the word inerrancy in their statements of faith, but in doctrine and practice, the commitment has become a joke. Third, Pastor Keller claims unity and peace in the PCA will be safe if a man, quote, believes in Orthodox Reformed theology, unquote. This is meaningless, as everything written above shows. Take, for instance, Pastor Keller's claim that men voted against Overtures 23 and 37 out of concern to protect Orthodox Reformed theology. Fourth, Pastor Keller claims unity and peace in the PCA will be safe if a man, quote, believes some people are predestined from all eternity to be damned, unquote. Yes, but do readers understand Pastor Keller's own heterodox doctrine of hell? Our critique of Pastor Keller's position on hell is in four parts, and the first in the series can be read here, and I provide a link to that in the text. This simply to say that Pastor Keller's doctrine of hell is a coin of truth he's trimmed. Fifth, Pastor Keller claims unity and peace in the PCA will be safe if a man, quote, believes people are going to hell if they don't believe savingly in Jesus, unquote. 
The strength of any doctrinal statement is not what is affirmed, but what is denied. Anyone who spent half a day reading universalists who claim to be Christian knows a Mack truck can be driven through Pastor Keller's statement, quote, believe savingly in Jesus, unquote. Two, may one believe savingly without repentance, about which the confession states, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 15, number three, quote, although repentance be not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. Unquote. Sixth, Pastor Keller claims unity and peace in the PCA will be safe if a man, quote, believes homosexual practice and desire are sin, unquote. But what about identity? What about effeminacy? Are we to leave behind all the Westminster Larger Catechism condemns as sin under the Seventh Commandment? The most superficial experience and examination of the PCA Men's Revoice Conferences overwhelms one with not just the presence, but often the advocacy of these sins condemned by Scripture and listed by the Westminster Divines. Quote, unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections. All corrupt or filthy communications or listening thereunto. Wanton looks, impudent or light behavior, immodest apparel, entangling vows of single life, undue delay of marriage, idleness, unchaste company, lascivious dancing, stage plays, and all other provocations to or acts of uncleanness either in ourselves or others. That's from the larger catechism, question 139, the answer. Seventh, Pastor Keller claims unity and peace in the PCA will be safe if a man, quote, believes we are all descended from a real, specially created Adam and Eve, unquote. Again, anyone who spent even a short time reading Pastor Keller on creation is aware how little significance there is to what he writes above when it comes to debates over evolution, theistic or otherwise. Note that Professor Jack Collins at Covenant Theological Seminary is allowed to articulate and defend this view of Adam and Eve, quote. So Jack Collins wrote this, quote, in, in a much longer article, quote, if someone should decide that there were, in fact, more human beings than just Adam and Eve at the beginning of humankind, then in order to maintain good sense, he or she should envision these humans as a single tribe. Adam would then be the chieftain of this tribe preferably produced before the others, and Eve would be his wife. Thus, this tribe, quote, fell under the leadership of Adam and Eve, unquote. Keeping such suppositions of Pastor Keller and his PCA colleagues in mind, we begin to understand the meaninglessness of any confession that simply states Adam was, quote, specially created, unquote. 
Looking more carefully at these statements, Pastor Keller is proposing as the basis of the theological purity, unity, and peace in the PCA going forward. What is most evident is Pastor Keller's inability to understand truth is not permeable, malleable, and subjective. Read his formulations of the parameters of the PCA's boundaries within which we ought to trust each other. They're surreal. Does he really think we can trust a grandmother who looks and smells and howls like a wolf? Does he take us all for Little Red Riding Hood? So why is Pastor Keller so fearful of doctrinal precision? Why does he avoid it like the plague? Here he gives us another tell. Quote, For the record, I have lived in Manhattan for 33 years, and I heartily believe in all the above-mentioned positions. Nothing about being here has ever inclined me away from those commitments in the slightest. Living here may, however, give me a particularly clear picture of how thoroughly conservative the PCA really is from the standpoint of mainstream American culture, unquote. Living in New York City for 33 years has done a number on Pastor Keller's moral and doctrinal commitments. He may protest he's just as firm in his commitments today as he was when he first began ministering in Manhattan, but most of us feel sad listening to his protest. We think the man doth protest too much. One thing Pastor Keller needs to realize, though, is that many of us have spent the same number of years or more ministering in cultural contexts equally or more hostile to Christian doctrine and morals in Manhattan. PCA men in the Deep South may be intimidated by what Pastor Keller says about the pagan context of his work these past 33 years up north. But many of us have had temptations to go all mushy, every bit as toxic and intense as those of New York City. Think about Seattle. Think about Boulder. Think about Boston. Think about New England. Think about Portland. Think about Madison and Bloomington. And on it goes. We all chose our path and then approached death defending it. As my dad said before his death, quote, people get old the way they've lived their lives, unquote. Doctrinal and moral imprecision and compromise are lifetime habits confirmed by lifetimes of preaching and lifetimes of feelings of insecurity in front of the watching world. It's sin to compromise God's truth in the face of Western culture today. But the sin is perfectly understandable to most of us and we sympathize deeply. In fact, so deeply that we must fight against it in others or will waver and give in to it ourselves. Now then, Pastor Keller's conclusion. Quote, Conclusion, it is not true that the PCA is in imminent danger of becoming a progressive mainline Protestant church. I think the sooner we lay that new narrative to rest, the better, and the sooner we can get back to our real work. We must seek the spiritual health, scriptural integrity, ministry effectiveness, and unity of the church, and we must do it together in the face of our longtime differences, 
on how we reach and practice the Westminster Standards, unquote. Sorry, dear Pastor Keller, but I'm not on your bus. I don't trust your driving or knowledge of the rules of the road. He continues, quote, How can we do that? First, we should acknowledge how much doctrinal unity we really have. We have a remarkable amount of consensus. There's more than enough common ground doctrinally upon which to build a denomination. Are we willing to admit that? Unquote. In truth, we don't have doctrinal unity, and this sad fact is most evident at the gaps in the wall where the devil is attacking God's word and truth today. Pastor Keller continues, quote, Second, we should acknowledge the complexity of the reasons of why we really differ. The reasons are temperamental, cultural, and historical, as well as hermeneutical, unquote. The reasons aren't complex at all, not in my heart and mind, and not in your heart and mind, dear brother. Fear of man and being ashamed of our Lord's words have never been complicated at all. Pastor Keller continues, quote, Third, all revivals and renewals begin with repentance. We should stop judging one another's motives so readily. The strict, assuming the broader worldly, and the broad assuming the strict are legalistic, we must repent and forgive each other, unquote. Your call for repentance is understandable given the nature of your commitment to truth. Pastor Keller continues, quote, Fourth, we need more, far more face-to-face conversations, not social media or internet debates, If we did, it would make a difference. For example, before we post our articles and thoughts online, we might be more likely to run them by brothers and friends in the other camp first, as I did this article. Almost 20 years ago, I wrote Pastor Keller offering to get together, but of course, who was I? Not hearing anything in response, I repeat my offer here. Sadly, though, at our ages, both of us have firmly established trajectories which are, we must admit, entirely incompatible. I'm struggling to remember the precise words of a quote I read years ago to the effect that sometimes the problem isn't that we don't understand each other, but that we understand each other very well and know we disagree. This is what I wish and pray happens within the PCA and every other biblically reformed denomination, as we face the hatred of God, which is everywhere around us. That we believe once more in argument, and fight our way through to God's truth being embraced fully, thereby freeing the people of God from all the chains the spirit of the age has bound us with. And that we learn again, to love each other through the practice of loving and faithful discipline. What I propose as a first step in that direction is that, as I mentioned near the beginning of this response, someone in Missouri Presbytery love Pastor Greg Johnson enough to bring him under discipline, and may God give him the grace to repent. Pastor Keller continues, quote, 
Certainly, the differences are not insignificant, but in my four decades in the PCA, I have been encouraged over and over again about how General Assembly study committees have created consensus, yet laid down the necessary theological boundaries. At my first General Assembly in Jackson in 1975, we passed the pastoral letter concerning the experience of the Holy Spirit in the church today, which was a model for the future. The letter laid down firm biblical guidelines, denying that the regenerate must also have a baptism of the Spirit to be equipped for ministry, denying tongues as a sign of the baptism of the Spirit, and urging against an inappropriate obsession with miracles. Yet the letter did not take a complete cessationist view and urge, quote, a spirit of forbearance among those holding different views regarding the spiritual gifts Unquote. Unquote. Yes, in past years, the Assembly has had study committees that have done stellar work for the unity of the Church, and I have recommended these older documents to brothers and sisters inside and outside the Church countless times, even giving away printed copies to those needing them. But Pastor Keller continues, quote, The 2017 report on women serving in the ministry of the church followed this same path, affirming all the restrictions on women in office, but allowing a diversity of practices with regard to areas where the Constitution doesn't dictate, unquote. Sadly, I would not recommend anyone read Pastor Keller's report, which majored in hiding the substantive disagreements permeating the church in the Western world today. It reminded me of a similar paper called Evangelicals and Catholics Together, trying for a rapprochement between Protestants and Roman Catholics. As the paper on sexuality Pastor Keller and other study committee members produced was not the finest moment of the authors and their fellow presbyters at last year's assembly, Evangelicals and Catholics together was not the finest moment of its authors, including Richard John Newhouse, Chuck Colson, and Jim Packer. Happily, though, it's been forgotten now. Studies in ambiguity surrounding conflicted issues are never memorable. Now then, Pastor Keller will have these last words, and may God bless him. Quote, The 1999 creation study report served the same function. In every case, the reports did not add to the Constitution, but reaffirmed it and allowed diversity within its stated guidelines and limitations. As a result, we have the PCA we have today, strong and large enough to have real tensions, yet united around a wonderfully rich and remarkably comprehensive confession It has taken almost 50 years to grow the PCA with its many strong institutions and organizations, let alone hundreds of churches, to preserve and steward all the gifts God has given the PCA. Let us build on our common love of these wise and biblical confessional documents by speaking the truth in love to each other. This is the end of the post. For more on the work of reform in the church of the early 21st century, pick up a copy of our book, Church Reformed. It's available on Amazon.
Thank you for listening. Do us a favor. Subscribe to this podcast. Two, tell your friends they can now subscribe to audio recordings of Warhorn Posts. We depend on you as our only marketing. Until our next post, stay warm, devote yourself to loving your neighbor, and love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. This is Tim Bailey saying thank you for giving us a listen. Goodbye. Pursues the poor by his own plots, Lord, let him be surprised. Rise up, O oh Lord.